morning, and uh, I greatly uh, appreciate uh, the gift. Uh, again, the, the ability to just be your pastor was uh, more than enough of a gracious gift that uh, you, you accepted me. So, uh, again, I look, look forward to many, many years uh, in this role, and more importantly, I look forward to seeing what God will do uh, through Penn Valley um, you know, when, when my time comes to an end and, and what I'll be able to, to pass off to someone else. But uh, that really is my heart, that this church just continues to serve the way that it has and continues to love the way that it has uh, and that we just grow in Christ and others would come to know uh, who Jesus is. So, but, uh, but thank you. That does mean a lot to me to know that you guys stand behind me. So um, we are closing out our sermon series today on, on why Penn Valley Church. We're looking at that last piece of what is the role and the expectation of the actual church. Uh, now, there are certain individuals uh, in history whose names have risen to worldwide fame that, you know, when you, you invoke their name, when you say it, it just brings up a particular type of mindset. It, it categorizes a certain individual, right? So if we were to say someone was a Shakespeare, we would understand this kind of creative, you know, a literature type of genius. Uh, another one that's very popular that people will often say is, you know, oh, look at you, you're, you're like a Mother Teresa, right? And Mother Teresa uh, has gained worldwide fame for her acts of love and care. And just to, to go into a little bit of who she was, uh, she was born in 1910 in, in Macedonia, and as a kid, she believed that God was calling her uh, to missions. And so at the age of 18, she actually went over to India, and she joined the Sisters of Loretto, which was an Irish nunnery, where they worked with girls in India to provide them an education to basically further better their lives in a place where a lot of times girls and women uh, did not have uh, a lot of mobility and success. And so she worked there for many years as a teacher, eventually becoming kind of the administrator of the school. Uh, but as she was there at the school, her heart really began to break for what was happening outside the walls of the school. She was in an area that essentially they've called the slums of India, uh, and, and she just had a heart for these people. And she said she felt like God had given her a call within a call, that she was called to India to be at the school, and now she was being called out of the school to go take care of these individuals. Uh, and so her desire uh, was to go and provide for whatever way that she could. And so she met with her superior. She had talked with them uh, and she said, this is what I want to do. And they gave her permission and they gave her a blessing. And she would spend the next six months getting some basic medical training. And then she would go out and she went. She went by herself. And at first, it was really hard. She said the first two years were extremely lonely, were very difficult. She was constantly pleading for money. She was constantly looking for food to be able to provide for these kids. Uh, and she went out just saying, I want to help whoever it is that I could help. As she would say that her goal was to aid the unwanted, the unloved, and the uncared for. That was her desire. And so by 1950, after two years of doing this, she had gotten permission from the Vatican to actually open up the Missionaries of Charity, which was an organization that 
came alongside her, that, that people, government officials, the church, uh, and many individuals from around the world began to work with her as they saw how she cared for these people in the slums. And when, again, when we say slums, you know, we are talking about people rummaging through trash in order to survive. Like that, that was daily type of living that she saw. One of the first things that she began to do was actually provide hospices for people. That is, people were, were there on their deathbed she wanted to care for them in a way that they'd never been cared for. She described a hospice as offering a beautiful death for people who lived like animals to die like angels loved and wanted. And then out of that, it grew to orphanages, homeless shelters, counseling services, working with disabled, disaster relief, caring for, the, for refugees, uh, and even providing housing for those with leprosy. And so by the time she stepped down in 1997, she was 87 years old. She stepped down from this organization and it had grown to 610 missions in 123 countries around the world. Six months later after that, Mother Teresa passed away. And a world was devastated at her loss, but she, along the way, had earned numerous humanitarian awards. Uh, she had won the uh, Nobel Peace Prize in 1979. Uh, and in 2016, she was actually canonized by the Catholic Church to the level of sainthood. That is the kind of impact that she had. And I want us to think for a moment, what type of legacy that she left? What type of impact that she had? What if Mother Teresa had never answered the call of God. Think about all of those countless individuals whose lives have been impacted by her work, her ministry, and her simple love and care. She provided countless dignity to individuals. She met physical needs. She met emotional needs. She met spiritual needs all over the world because she chose to answer the call of God. But again, just think for a moment, if we never had Mother Teresa, how many thousands and hundreds of thousands and possibly millions of lives around the world would not be in a better state if she never chose to do what she did? To aid the unwanted, the unloved, and the uncared for. Well, as we close out today, again, we're talking about the purpose of the church. Right? We said that we are to be the visible expression of who God is. We are to be his, his, his holiness, his, his gracious love, his sacrifice, his forgiveness, his mercy, his justice. All of these things God has called us to be as the church. And again, the church are those of us who have chosen to follow after Christ, both the universal and the local church. And so we are to be transformed by the Spirit, to put aside the sins of the world, to proclaim absolute truth in a world that chooses not to have it, but world in a, that lives in a relative state. We're to be a church that is to care for one another as a family, that you and I are not just 
fellow members of Penn Valley or attenders, but we are brothers and sisters in Christ, with Christ as our Father, right? We are to live in a level of deep-seated relationship for one another, that again, we share the joys and the hardships together. We're to be a church that functions out of our giftedness to build one another up, that each and every one of us has been given a spirit that has now moved us, whether it is big or small, to do something to mature this body and to grow the kingdom of God. And we are to be on mission. And we talked about that last week, that from here until the ends of the world, we are to preach the gospel as a church. And we talked about how by doing that and also by our giving, we are constantly working together to share the love of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to talk about being the hands of God. What does that mean to be the actual hands of God? So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 36 to 43. Again, Acts is the historical spread of the, uh, of the church uh, and of the gospel. So again, we have the gospels. Christ has come, died, resurrected, ascended into heaven. He's now passed off the ministry to his disciples. He's now passed off the ministry to the church. And he said, you go forward now. You take this mission as you go. And so the first part of Acts focuses largely on the individual by the name of Peter. And then the second part of Acts, we tend to follow the story through the individual by the name of Paul. And again, as they're going forward and proclaiming the glories of Christ, what they are doing is performing many miracles early on to give validation to what they are saying, that Christ is both Lord and Savior. So here we go, Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, which was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made them while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, and when he got down on his knees and prayed, turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. And this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. So Joppa was a port city along the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, it was at one point in the hands of the Philistines, and then in the hands of the Phoenicians, and then it became into the hands of the Israelites. Uh, and then uh, it was, so now it was a city of both Jew and Gentile. Uh, it became a major uh, shipping area that much of the cedar that was brought down to build the temple actually was shipped into Joppa, uh, and then it's made, made its way over to Jerusalem. And then at this point, it came to the hands of the Persians, and then it turned over to the hands of the Greeks, and now it's been turned over into the hands of the Romans. Okay, so this is kind of where we're at historically uh, in Acts chapter 9. And we have this brief story of Tabitha here. She falls ill, she dies, uh, and then Peter brings her back to life, and they see this miracle uh, that happens. Now, we don't know anything else about Tabitha in the rest of Scripture. This is the only place that she actually shows up in the story. Uh, and before we dive further into this, uh, in the book of John, it says this. It says, 
Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. There were, many teach there were more teachings and more miracles and more history that is just not included in the scriptures. So what we have in the scriptures, guys, is not all of God's story. We don't have all of the miracles. There's many other things that he taught and said and did that we just don't have captured in the scriptures. However, we do know, first, second Timothy three, that the scriptures were God breathed, right? This was divinely orchestrated by what God wanted his authors to write. So what we do know is that whatever God put in the Bible, he had in there for a particular reason. Okay, so there's a lot more out there, but there is purpose in everything that goes on. And the reason why, again, I want to say that is because we have eight verses here where we deal with this woman of Tabitha. And really, out of eight of those verses, four of those verses are about her being brought back to life. And the other four is about this little snippet of information and biographical piece of who she is. So why is it that God puts that into the scriptures? And that's what we want to try to figure out as we, as we go through here. Now, obviously, as I said, part of this is to give validation to Peter's statement, right? That as he goes through the, the as he's going through Jerusalem and through the various parts of, of the Roman Empire, again, he's preaching Christ crucified, that he's Lord and Savior. And people are wondering, how do we know this to be true? How do we know that what you say, Peter, is actually true? And so he does all of these miracles to help validate and give credibility to this statement. So when he says that Jesus has died for your sins and he heals a blind man or he brings Tabitha back to life, he says, there is your proof that when I said Jesus has died for your sins and that you can go to heaven, this is what's to give credibility to that. Because we have to understand that, again, our, our purpose is to glorify the Lord. That is always the overarching premise. Whenever we look at anything in the scriptures or we look at history, that God is to be glorified. So much of this passage, again, is the ability to have us look at and say, yes, God should be glorified because he brought a woman back to life. Only God could do that alone. Only God has the power to do that. And as a result of this, in verse 42, again, it tells us it became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Okay? So, so part of this passage is to help us continue to understand the amazing nature of who God is and what Peter is speaking is true. But what do we do again about those four other verses? What do we do with, 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 with verse 36 through 39? Do, do we just ignore that and say that has no purpose or no value? Or do we actually dive into that further and say, no, 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 God has this here for an actual particular reason. So... Let's figure out who this lady is so that way we can understand what God wants us to further understand about him and about his work. So as I said, she's a follower of Christ. It mentions both her Jewish name, which is Tabitha, and it mentions the Greek name, which is Dorcas. And that actually means gazelle. Okay, now this is not uncommon in the scriptures 
for people to have multiple names. We actually see that in various different places. But in this particular instance, it's actually used twice. So it's referenced, and then further in the passage, he references her not as Tabitha, but he references her as Dorcas. And again, why do we want that uh, in there? Well, a gazelle was a, a very slender, graceful, beautiful-looking animal. Right, if you've ever seen a, a gazelle, kind of, I, I had a, a chance to actually do an African safari, uh, and men to see a whole herd of these just jumping across the, the prairie, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, we've all seen deer jump here, but, but to be over there and to see these gazelles to just hop and hop and hop, it really was watching something beautiful. Well, in ancient times, women were often referred to as gazelles because it was a, it, it was a proper way to recognize the dignity of who a woman was. Uh, and so when we're referencing Tabitha here, what we're actually doing is highlighting and connecting her to her actual character. So when we say that she's a gazelle, that's a very highly uh, term that's given to her. And what was she doing? It says that she was always doing good and helping the poor, right? It uses the phrase alms deed, right? So, so she was actively physically doing the work of helping those that were in need. And so she does the work with, with charity, offering generosity to each other. Uh, and then what happens? She dies and her body gets placed into the upper room. Now, the upper room is a very important place because every time we talk about the upper room in scripture, something magical always happens. Uh, this was where Daniel prayed and defied the king's orders. This is where Elijah carried the widow's son uh, and brought him back to life. This is where Jesus washed his disciples' feet at the Last Supper. This is where Jesus appeared to Thomas. And this is where the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost uh, and began to dwell within the hearts of his people. So Tabitha is brought upstairs. Peter comes. Uh, he's about 15 miles away in Lida. The people come to him and they're saying, you've got to come, Peter, please, because Peter has just healed somebody and brought them back and paralyzed man. And so what they're hoping is, is that Peter's going to be able to come here and Peter's going to be able to bring her back to life. And so Peter comes. He's about 15 miles away. He comes. And when he shows up, he is greeted by all kinds of widows. All of these widows are there, and as Peter's making his way, what are they doing? They're taking their garments, and they're literally shoving it into Peter's face and saying, Look, 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 Peter, look, look, you got to go help Tabitha. you got to go help her. Look what she's done for us. And when it talks about her providing garments, uh, that's actually the idea of both her inner and the outer garment. So she's literally clothing these women that are not able to take care of themselves. Uh, and widows were in a very difficult spot in the Bible, right? So when, when her husband had passed away, um, she was not able to financially care for herself. She usually was there left at the mercy of other people. She was not protected safety-wise. Uh, so this was, this was a very uh, vulnerable group of individuals, right? We, we don't have pension plans. We don't have retirement plans. We don't have senior citizens' homes at this point. Uh, women that were widows could have easily been taken advantage of. And so Tabitha steps in to help care and provide for this group of people. And we see that God in the scriptures has says to us, Psalm 68, 5, he says, it's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. 
is God in his holy dwelling, right? God has a place for these individuals. God says, I care about the low and the downtrodden. I care about those who are hurting, who are struggling, who need help. And in 1 Timothy 5, we actually have very good instructions about how to care for these widows. There's a very good list that says, listen, if she's a certain age, if she's got family, those people should be taking care of her. But if she's over a certain age, she doesn't have family, there's no one else. It is the responsibility of the church to make sure that these women are provided for. Okay, so so God's word has laid out for us that there are to be provisions. There is to be specific ways that we are to care for these actual individuals. And so what was Tabitha doing? She was heeding to the call of Christ. And when they presented to Peter these clothes, it was a visible, tangible sign to Peter to say, here is a woman that has followed the heart of Jesus. And we are looking for a miracle. And so Peter raises her from the dead. Glory to God is given, and many people believe as a result of what happens. And as I said, I think it's crucial for us to make that connection between who Tabitha was and the belief that happens afterwards. Because I don't think all of those women are there if Tabitha wasn't who she was. And when Peter presents Tabitha back to the widows, now those widows become the testimony to Joppa to say that she has been raised from the dead and she has been healed by Christ, our Savior. And as people hear that and they see the testimony, they begin to put their faith in Jesus as well. You know, the book of James uh, is written to Christians who have now been scattered. And as again, they're facing persecution, as they're facing difficulty, he's calling them to say, you are to live a certain life. And in James chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And James 2, 14 and 18 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Now, a lot of people look at this and say, well, clearly, in order to be saved, I have to do good works. That's clearly what James is saying, Adam. No, that's not what James is saying at all. What James is saying is that if you have faith, then deeds should be a part of your life. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Right? I'm saved by my faith. I'm saved by putting my trust in Jesus Christ. But then Christ says to us, that's awesome. And that's what you need to do. But now that you've put your faith in me, now you need to go forward and now you need to love the world the way that I love the world. You need to care for people, not just their, their, their spiritual souls, but you need to care for them emotionally and physically, relationally. You need to make sure that those who are hurting will have what they need because I gave it to you. And so I, I think when those women cried tears, those tears were a testimony to the life of Tabitha who had faith in Jesus Christ. Because she sought to honor the Lord in all that she did. And so when the widows saw the miracle of life with Tabitha, they just didn't see a, a woman being raised from the dead what they had was a woman who gave them life as well. And so we need to ask this question as a church. It's the same question that I posed with Mother Teresa. What if? What if? What if this church was not here? Would anybody in this community actually care? What if you were not here? Who would be all of the men and women and children that would mourn your loss and shed tears over your testimony of Christ? But let us be encouraged, because I pose that question, because it's a good question for us always to ask. Will people miss me if I'm gone? Will people miss this church? But I want us to be encouraged that this church is doing the work of God. That this church has not stopped giving to this community and pouring into the community and pouring into the men and women around them. That when we talk about this church being the hands of God, I could not be prouder of you for what you do on a daily basis. And let, let me just read off some some organizations and some ways that we have helped this community. And please forgive me if one that I that you are a part of or that you're serving is not listed because I just couldn't list all of them. Many of you served with Barb Wooler in crisis response. We just mentioned today Jen Yothers leads and and helps Bridge of Hope. This past week I was just at a breakfast for North Care Women's Clinic who offers pregnancy support to women who are in need and thinking about the possibility of giving up their child or abortion. We got bags out there to provide food for Keystone Opportunity Center. We've worked with the beanbag program in the school district. Along the way, ministries, hand-in-hand, Bozenbelli School over in Africa, Hope 22, Harvest USA, which is an organization that deals with those in sexual crisis and identity. We have our community garden out there. 
There's a reason why Bartleball continues to ask us if the fair is going to happen and if anything else, they can at least use our property because they've said it's the one place they ever come to that they feel they've been given dignity as fair workers. Concert Sundays, the renovation project, Operation Christmas Child, which will be coming up next month, Telford Fire Company, Telford Library, and Urban Hope. Those are just a few. And again, there are organizations and there are ways that you guys serve on a day-to-day basis that I don't even know. I still contact people and hear that people have traveled overseas or have traveled here or traveled there who never asked for prayer, or never asked for a dime from this church, but but willingly gave of themselves and sacrificed of themselves and said, I want to serve because that's what God has called me to do. And so let that be an encouragement, guys. This church is serving the way that God wants us to do. And the reason why this becomes so important is because we saw what happened with Tabitha. She met the physical needs and she built a relationship with people. And her ability to build a relationship allowed her the ability to express who the church was. And when she had the ability to express who the church was, she ultimately was expressing who Christ was and what the gospel was to them. So every time your hand gets put to the plow to do some work, just remind yourself that every time is an opportunity for you to invest in the life of someone so that they may see the love of Jesus Christ. Because when we care for the least of all people, What does it show them? It shows them that Jesus died for all. It doesn't matter if you are poor. It doesn't matter if you are disabled, that if you are elderly. It doesn't matter if you have done something in your life that you regret. The alcoholic, the drug addict, the criminal. All of these people hear the same message that Jesus loves you and he died for you. Let's pray. Father, again, I, I, ask for, I ask for blessing. I ask that you continue to bless these men and women. God, they give of their time, they give of their energy, they give up their financial resources and, and they don't ask for much. But Lord, we... We serve because we know that we've been served in the greatest way possible, that you went to the cross and you died and you shed your blood and you, you forgave us of our sins. And Lord, I pray that as we continue to do this, that more and more opportunities would surface, that more and more men and women would have relationships built with the people of Penn Valley so that we may be able to share what it means to have a relationship with you. Lord, that we would cover this community in your love with the hands and the feet and the, the, the hugs and the, and the compassion and the care for people. To say that they never felt greater love than to experience it from the people of this church and the people of you. So when we are weary, when we are tired and we think there are no money left, Lord, we ask for the miracle that you would show up in our lives to be able to allow us to continue 
to do what you have called us to do, to be the hands of God. Amen.